Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Good to see everybody this morning. I haven't gotten the chance to to speak in a while up here, and so it's good to be back, and I'm excited to uh, get to share today of all days, because as you know and Travis mentioned, uh, today is Palm Sunday. It kind of kicks off the week leading up to uh, Good Friday and Easter, and um, the the way that it falls like in the like church calendar is significant that that today would be the day that we would celebrate Palm Sunday um, and it's it's more connected to where we've come over the last forty days over the last several uh, days of Lent and if you know if you've been around you'll know that our church has been engaging in in Lent uh, for in a little more significant way than we maybe we have in the past and there's been the, the you know the challenge to maybe give up something that you like that you appreciate uh, in an effort to draw your attention and focus to Jesus in a more significant way. Um, Way back at the beginning of the series, like Matt kind of shared kind of vision. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Just like what we were going to do over the next little while. And he was saying for himself that he was giving up Mountain Dew, um, which I know is of great sacrifice to him for sure. Uh, Wouldn't be so much for me, but I know it is of great sacrifice to him. And so uh, he, he was getting rid of that in order to focus greater on Jesus. But as part of that Lent process, you may also remember that he brought up that on Sundays, you would break the fast, typically people who are engaging in Lent, you'd break the fast and you would enjoy and celebrate what it is that you were denying yourself of throughout the week. And I believe the exact words that Matt used way back on that first message was he was going to go either drown himself or bathe in Mountain Dew. I forget which one it is. Neither one's a great mental image, but uh, it grasps the idea that like, hey, when we deny ourselves of something that we want, um, and then, the, and it's not a bad thing. When the time comes where we get to break that, we get to celebrate and we don't have to feel like guilt or it doesn't take away from what we have done leading up to that moment, but we can celebrate. So every Sunday of Lent was a Sunday of celebration. Um, and today we're doubling down on celebration because not only is it a Sunday, it's also the end. It usually marks the end of Lent. And it begins, kicks off what is referred to in the church calendar as the Holy Week as we lead up to Good Friday and then to Easter. And it always begins on today, Palm Sunday. And I just want to touch on, uh, like, we're going we're gonna to celebrate today. We're, our, our attention is going to be drawn to some points of celebration today. But I, I just want to mention something real quick, kind of as a side note. Celebrating today does not lessen or take away the significance of us denying ourselves in the 40 days leading up to today. Um, fasting and feasting are like two sides of the same coin, and then they're, they're connected. Our denying of ourselves and our indulging in Jesus are connected. When we empty ourselves, we are filled up with the Spirit, which is why we called it empty and full. So today is a day that is observed as celebration that is not disconnected from what has happened leading up to this point. I just want to make sure that we didn't just take a hard shift. Ah, oh, we're done with that. And we're on to the celebration stuff. It is deeply, deeply connected because as we have denied ourselves and filled, made the conscious effort to fill ourselves with the things of God and the Holy Spirit um, and our attention to the Holy Spirit, we walk into what God has prepared for us, the celebration that he has for us with a different mindset. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we walk through the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, Today is observed as a day of celebration um, because it's the first day of Holy Week and because the first day of Holy Week starts off with a big old celebration. It's very circular, but that's why we do it. When we look at the calendar of the of Holy Week leading up to Easter, it kicks off with a big old celebration, typically referred to as the triumphal entry. You got a little taste of that already in the service. It's when Jesus entered Jerusalem and things in his story really started to kick into high gear, as we will see here uh, in the passage that we're going to read this morning. And I'll just, all cards on the table, just full honesty here. This is a passage of scripture I have read so many times 
I've heard so many messages about this particular passage of scripture, like probably 36 times, like one a year for my entire life because I was raised in the church. I have seen this story told and retold through all kinds of different media and formats and mediums, all the way from kids' books to like edgy like retellings with like pop culture songs attached to them to Easter pageants and everywhere in between. This is something that I am very familiar with. And while I'm not assuming everyone in the room necessarily is at that same spot, I probably could take a fair guess that many of us in here, it's not your first time hearing about the triumphal entry, right? you probably have some frame of reference. If you don't, great, you're not bringing any baggage into this. You're actually in a better spot than the rest of us. But for many of us, we have ideas, we have images, maybe some cultural baggage that we gotta work through when we are looking at this passage. And I think one of the tragedies of passages of scripture like this, ones that we are really, really familiar with, is it can be easy for us to get to the point where we're not paying attention anymore. Like we read it and we're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I get the main point, can we move on from this? Like, teach me something new as we, as we go forward. But I, again, this is a little bit of a side note, but I am so incredibly grateful that when it comes to reading the Bible, when it comes to scripture, when it comes to meditating on God's word, there is always more. There's always more. There's new ways to apply what God has said to our lives. There are more and more opportunity for us to gain greater context and understanding of what is actually written there. Man, it is an exciting, I was thinking about this the other day, it's an exciting time to be a lover of God's word, someone who's serious about God's word. You know how much access we have now? So much good historical like work that has been done so that we can understand to a greater degree what was going on when this was written and why it matters and why there might be way more deeper layers of meaning than we understood. It is an exciting time to go and to study God's word. We just, we have to do it. We need to be willing to do it. And apart from all of that, we have the spirit of God living in us who fills in the gaps very often for us to show us exactly what we need to do, exactly how we need to see things. And sometimes that's stuff that we didn't realize the first hundred times around or things that we didn't understand the last time around. And this has been no exception for me. As I've gone into scripture, something that was really familiar, maybe something you feel like is pretty familiar to you, God has, has revealed like new things. And so I would say go into this time together kind of ready to see something new. It doesn't change the heart of what's going on, but it might just be from a different perspective that we haven't wrestled with before. And uh, we know that this is a, an important story and probably a reason that this story is so familiar is that it pops up in all four of the gospels. Again, God in his grace has given us four different accounts of Jesus' life, and they all kind of approach Jesus and who he was and what he did from different angles. And I am so grateful that God did that because it's the difference between hearing a story and just only hearing it one way and being able to hear the same story, which is true in all ways, shapes, and forms, but being able to see it from different perspectives. I think about this all the time. It might just help you uh, maybe like think about it maybe in a, in a helpful way. When I think of the Gospels, I always, my mind jumps to this experience I had a couple years ago where I took Megan to this thing called the Van Gogh Experience, and it was this big thing that moves around to different cities that highlights the work of Van Gogh. She's an artist, she loves art, and I love her, so I took her to this art thing. And uh, it's cool because you get to see a lot of like uh, replications of his paintings, uh, but then they also kind of go one step further and they start to uh, give you like greater context. And one of the most impactful things that I got to, to do when I went to that Van Gogh experience was we saw the, the painting of Starry Night. You know the Starry Night painting? It has the swoops in it and the countryside and all that. It's very famous. Um, you're looking at it and you're like, that is beautiful. That's a really beautiful painting. And then you go into the next room and there's like this 3D mapped projection all around you. It's like you're standing inside the painting. And I'm like, that flat image of that painting was beautiful, but man, this is something else in here. And I'm so grateful that, like, that that's what God is doing with the gospels. So it's like worth reading them and rereading them and reading all of them, especially on the ones that pop up in all four because we get different perspectives. Why do I tell you all that? Here's why. I'm going to read one account of the triumphal entry story 
of this Palm Sunday, but I'm going to fill in some gaps with information that's given to us from the other Gospels. And I would encourage you, as you read through this, to do that as well, because it gives us such a bigger and greater picture of what's going on here. And so I'm going to read the account from the Gospel of John. We're going to look at John chapter 12. It's going to be verses 12 to 19. And you're welcome to follow along. If you want to, there's Bibles in the information racks in front of you, and and I'm sure many of you have them on your phone. And so you're welcome to follow along. What we're going to do is we're going to read through the whole passage, um, and we're going to pit stop a little bit along the way. And and I'm going to give you just a little bit of context and things that I think help us be able to see it uh, more, more clearly or more fully, all right? So we're going to start in verse 12, and here's how the passage starts. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Okay, we're going to pause right here, right out of the gate. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Okay, what feast are they talking about? If you're a church person, you probably already know, but I think it's important for us to all be on the same page here. When they're talking about this feast, what they're talking about is something referred to as the Passover feast. Real quick, just context. We need to know it to understand what's going on here, all right? So the Passover feast was something that was celebrated in the Jewish culture in the nation of Israel. Every spring, people would come from all kinds of different places and communities to the city of Jerusalem. And they would come there to celebrate something really specific, all right? They would come there to celebrate what God had done in the history and the life of the nation of Israel. One really specific thing that God has done. If, if again, if you know the story of the Israelites, you'll know that way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, we find the Israelites in the situation where they are in slavery, in service to a very severe, very harsh regime, the Egyptian, the kingdom of Egypt. And they have no rights and they have no ability to change their station at all. And they are enduring all kinds of horrible things. And they cry out to God and God hears them and he listens to them. And he directly intervenes on their behalf. He uses a guy named Moses, who is not that special and that's probably the point. But God intervenes, reaches down into that moment to intervene on, the beha- on behalf of his people. And long story short, we're not going to go to all the details. He gives the Egyptians many, many opportunities to free the Israelite slaves and let them go. And over and over and over again, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians are like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And it finally comes to a head. And I'm just going to be really honest here. This, this kind of messes with our like modern sensibilities. There's a lot that goes into it. We do not have time to work through all of it here. Be happy to talk more about it later. Um, I'm also going to throw Travis under the bus because he probably would explain it better than anybody else. But what we find happening at the end of, of God giving all of this warning to the, the, the kingdom of Egypt is he sends an angel of death to kill the firstborn of everybody, except for those who sacrifice the lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the door of their home. If the angel came by and the blood was over the door, the angel would pass over those homes and those people would be spared. And so that's exactly what happened. And that was like the thing that changed everything. The Egyptians were like, get out of here. We do not want to mess with you or your God. And God intervened in that moment and freed his people. Now their, their journey was certainly not a straight line moving forward, but it was something that they chose to remember every single year. Also, God told them to remember it every single year. And so that's the context of what's happening here. This is something that is set aside. It's a cultural national event where they would come to Jerusalem to remember what God had done. Now, of course, of course, there's a mixed bag of motivations in that, right? I am sure there are people who are like, I'm just there for the food or the music or the vibes or whatever. But the point was for them to go to Jerusalem to remember what God had done. This is significant as we roll out the rest of the story, and we need to understand that. As we continue in verse 13, this crowd was there for the Passover feast. Here's what they do when they hear Jesus is coming. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. So they took these these branches of palm trees. Other gospel accounts also mention that they laid their cloaks out in front of him. And this is what they said. They said, Hosanna, which most often translated is just a cry of like, save us, save us. They're like, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is a big statement that we just blow past. 
even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That's what we read earlier in the service, Zechariah 9. So this is absolutely full. This passage is absolutely full of symbolism and imagery and everything was on purpose. Jesus, we, we see from the other gospels, he sent his disciples to go get this donkey. It was very intentional that he was riding it on a donkey. The palms represented like peace at that time in, in, a, in a big way. The cloaks and branches being laid down as a path would represent royalty. The idea of riding in on a donkey was like the symbol of peace, but also that the victory had already been won. There is a point to make sure that people understand that prophecy has been fulfilled, that Jesus is who he said he was. So the whole thing is just like chock full of symbolism that we could spend forever talking about, way more time than we have here today talking about. But this is one thing we need to, to camp out on a little bit, is it all leads to like strong, strong like royalty language. We are meant to get the picture of royalty here. This moment from Jesus' end and what he does and the crowd's end, what they do, was a big statement. And that statement was, Jesus is this king we've been waiting for. Jesus is this Messiah that we've been waiting for. Verse 16 says this, continues on. He says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. Shocker, they never understand anything and we're not any different. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So it was not until, we know, we know how this story goes. This, it wasn't until Jesus had given up his life, had been buried in the ground and had defeated death and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven that they understood, oh yeah, Jesus was fulfilling all of these things. I get it now. I understand. Verse 17 says, the crowd, and this is, this is an interesting side note that they, that they make sure to mention in scripture, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. Again, we need to pause here because maybe you know who Lazarus is, maybe you don't. Lazarus was a really good friend of Jesus. Him and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were very good friends of Jesus. And uh, he, there's multiple accounts of Jesus interacting with this family. And one of those accounts was his sisters write to him and say, hey, Lazarus is really sick and I don't think he's gonna make it. You need to come here. I know you can heal people. Long story short, Jesus doesn't make it there in time. He's been dead a while, but he rolls in and like it's nothing, he brings him back from the dead. <laughs> They're all crying. They're all weeping. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm sad too, but come here. Lazarus, come on out of here. And he walks out and says testimony of God's power, of Jesus' power, even over death, even at this point in the story. And what we find here is that's one of the reasons the crowd had gathered was to tell the story for those who had been and to see if it was true for those who hadn't. It says in verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees, it ends with this saying, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. They're talking to each other. They're like, none of our plans have been working. None of the stuff that we've been trying to do to trip him up is working. Look, the world has gone after him. And then they start to kick it into high gear. They start working really hard to make sure that Jesus doesn't make it out of this week alive. And so as I read and thought and meditated on this passage of scripture with some intentionality and some purpose over the last few weeks, I was, ask, I was, I was asking God, like, what do, you, what do you want to communicate to us, to our church, where we're at right now and what we're doing? Like, what do you want to say to us? And my heart was drawn, and I believe he was drawn by the Spirit, to a specific group of people in this story. And that's the crowd that gathered to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. Make no mistake, this story is about Jesus, 100%. It's about Jesus. But my eye and my heart was drawn to the crowd because when I look at this crowd, I see them responding to Jesus in a few fascinating ways that I think are really, really worth us paying attention to or worth us wrestling with. And, and if, if today really is a day set aside for celebration, I see some celebration from this crowd that I think we really need to pay attention to and probably have some ability to apply to our own lives. 
So when I look at this crowd, the first thing that I noticed, the first thing I think the Spirit kind of revealed was that they were there to celebrate for what God had already done. One of the reasons they were together was they were there to celebrate what had already been done. And I, I love this, that God does this, uh, that, that he works on like these big, big picture views as well as these really personal, like intimate moments in our life. I love how often his word does that. It communicates some big cosmic, like life-altering theological truth, and it's true, and we need to pay attention to it. And then in the same breath, he speaks to our individual situation, our individual heartache, the things that we go through. I love that, and I think that is like on full display here in this passage of scripture. Let me kind of explain what I mean here. The the people, the crowd, was in Jerusalem. Why? For Passover. They were there celebrating a big game changer thing that God did. And it was right that they were there. And it was right that they were there celebrating that big game changer cosmic truth thing. But I was struck as I looked deeper, more specifically, this particular crowd was there at this specific moment for a much more personal reason. And I'll be honest, I completely missed that in the past. I am dumb. I totally missed that as I've read this however many times. And I have a theory as to why. And, and I wonder if this affects more of us than we'd like to believe. Uh, if you were here last week, Matt brought up the idea of cultural creep. Do you remember that if you were here last week? The idea that, that what, what the gospel presents to us through God's word, we cannot help but Because we live in a world and in a culture, we cannot help the culture starting to creep its way into the gospel. It's something we have to be aware of, something we have to actively fight against, but it doesn't matter where you live or or how old you are or how long you've been in it, culture has a way to creep into what is true. We cannot let culture change what is true, and there's a million different ways that that can happen. We have to be aware of it. And I think that I was a victim here. It's my own fault. I'm not a victim, but, but I was a victim here of church culture creep. And I think it came from years and years of this story being portrayed in Easter pageants. I genuinely think it is because I, all I can picture when I read this story is like a flash mob of people in like poorly made robes, like popping up from all their hidden places all over the sanctuary, right? Some are planted in the pews. Other people are like repelling from the balcony. I don't know, depending on your budget for your Easter, Easter presentation, like that's all I can picture. I have this image in my head of this crowd just materializing out of nowhere. That's not at all what the text tells us. That's not at all what scripture says to us. Instead, scripture's really clear that they were there because they heard about Lazarus. They were there because they heard about what God had done. It tells us that in the passage that we just read, but if you go a few verses before we started reading, it reinforces it even further. It says this in verse nine, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They were there because of what they had heard and seen Jesus do. Big picture and on a personal level. And it's the exact same thing for us. Maybe even specifically today, this can be true of us. When we gather together, we ought to be purposefully celebrating the things that God has done. How often do we make the intentional effort to do that? How often when we come in here is one of our goals to be to celebrate how God has been faithful the last week, last month, last year, last lifetime? How often is that on the front of our mind? Both in the big picture, which let's be real, that should be more than enough, man. Like the God of the universe looked at us in our ridiculous dumpster fire of a life when we are in rebellion against him and we hate him and we are described as his enemy. And he said, yeah, that is rough, man, but I am going to come there and I'm going to do the only thing that can set you free. I'm gonna do the only thing that can make you right in relationship with my father. I am willing to do that at great cost to myself. Do we need more than that? If that's all Jesus ever did for us, I think that would be enough, Right? We have the opportunity to celebrate the big picture, but we also have the opportunity to to celebrate even the more personal ways God has been faithful to us. 
man, I look back over my life and I know that, that that's true for me. God's like held my heart together when I was trying to break. God's been a hand of correction in my life when I've gotten lazy. He's been really gentle when I needed somebody to be gentle and he's been pretty forceful when I needed somebody to be forceful. He has always been the same. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. Even in my worst moments, as I look back at my life, if I'm looking with any kind of honesty, I can see where he's been at work. Like we know this to be true. And I, I, I believe that this is true of you. I feel very confident saying this. You can come argue if you want later. But I don't think it matters like who you are or what you've done or where you've been what language you speak, what part of the world you live in, however difficult your life has been, whatever hand you've been dealt in life, I don't think any of that matters in God's faithfulness to us. He has been faithful to us regardless of that, if we go and look for it. it only if we go and look for it sometimes. And I think that in our heads, we know that these things are true, but man, what a theme all throughout scripture and all throughout humanity that we forget so easily. Like it's all there, but we need oftentimes, nine times out of 10, I think, we need something from an outside place to come in and be the catalyst for us actually being able to see how faithful God has been in our life. Sometimes that's another person. Sometimes that's a message, although probably less than we'd like to believe. Sometimes that's just the actual choice to be intentional in our lives. But I, I have found for me, Nine times out of 10, it comes from an outside place. Whenever I think about this, my mind jumps. This is gonna feel like a weird swerve, but I promise it makes sense. I always think of my van. I have five kids and I have a minivan that tells the story that I have five kids, big time. I know there's people in the room who are like, I keep my car really, really clean. Cool, not my experience, that's okay. I am, that, I am we are those people who have tons of junk in our car. There are literal pounds of sand, I'm sure, in the back of our car. There's all kinds of like melted candy and wrappers and shoes and socks and there's smudges all over the windows and I don't even know what's all back there. I don't even want to go look, to be really honest with you. But every single one of those things tells a story of something we did or a memory of one of my kids but I never ever even think about how messy my car is until all of a sudden I'm in a position where I have to use it where somebody else gets to see it. You know what I'm talking about? Like oftentimes I'll like, we'll let somebody borrow it or we'll have to take kids to camp in it or something and it'll be this moment where it's like, what kind of filth have we been living in this whole time? Oh my goodness, I need to clean this out or whatever. I, I didn't even notice it until something from the outside made me take a look. And maybe that's all this is this morning for you. Just somebody from the outside saying like, look, look back at your life and see how God has been faithful. Look back at our lives and see how he has never, ever let us down. Man, I'm convinced that it is pretty hard to be miserable if we are being constantly reminded of how he's been faithful. So today, church, I think I'm gonna say this a few times this morning. So today, celebrate. Make the choice to celebrate. Rejoice in what God has done, how he has been faithful to you. When you are spending time alone with him, spend more time celebrating than asking him for stuff or complaining about stuff. When you go out to lunch with somebody after church, talk about your things, whatever, but make sure that you are telling the story of celebration of how God has been faithful in your life. Man, when you, parents, when you sit down with your kids, whether they're little or adults or you have grandkids or whatever, man, let them, when they think of you, let them think of a person who is constantly celebrating the faithfulness of God in their life. They need to hear that from you way, way more than they need to hear it from like Jacob or me or Cher or anybody else. You have huge influence there. Be a voice that says God has been faithful. How would our outlook on life and God be if we were just constantly, intentionally remembering and celebrating the things that he has done and the ways that he has been faithful? I think it would change a lot. But it doesn't just end right there. We're not a people that just looks back and says, man, God was faithful then. We're a people that looks back, says God was faithful then, and it makes us trust that he will be faithful moving forward. And that's the second thing that I see in this crowd of people is that their first response was to celebrate what God had already done, 
But it didn't stop there. What he had done made them celebrate in faith what he could and would do, what they hadn't experienced yet. And I'll be honest, I was kind of floored as I sat in this passage at the faith of these people. Like, surely this was a mixed bag of motivations. I get it, always. But I'm kind of impressed at their faith. Like, they heard of Jesus raising someone from the dead, saw him on his way into town, and then made the jump to save us. You are our king that we have been waiting for. They celebrated him for something they had not yet experienced, but they did so in faith. Most of his disciples hadn't even come around on that yet, hadn't even recognized that yet. These people, as twisted as their idea of how it was all supposed to go, at this moment, saw the big picture and had faith that Jesus was the king that they had been waiting for. And so they made the choice to celebrate in this moment something they had not yet experienced. And what they do is they found themselves in this middle place. These two things are not disconnected from each other. God's faithfulness in the past and his faithfulness for the future are not disconnected. We just find ourselves in this middle place. And we do today too. We recognize what God has done. We recognize the victory that Jesus won through his death and his resurrection. We see that, we know it, we've seen his faithfulness, but we also know that there is a lot more in this life and more importantly in this new world that Jesus will establish in his return. Man, I know, like we've been, we've been talking a lot about the return of Jesus, which actually I think feels pretty dumb to say because actually probably the better thing to say is we have not talked enough about the return of Jesus. And yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I will say this, if you're still sitting in your seat and you're like, yeah, but I get it. It's full of symbolism. It's kind of hard to wrap our heads around. It's, it's inherently threatening. I understand. Also, greasy people tend to try to make money off of it and sell books, and that just like rubs us the wrong way. I get it. But let's be real. This is where all this is headed. This is what all this is for. Jesus on the throne, surrounded by his people who love him in a perfected home that he has made for us. And we get to be a part of that. What is not to celebrate in that? So I think we could stand to take a page out of this crowd's book. When we look back at what God has done, how often is my next thought to celebrate what he has yet to do that I haven't even yet experienced yet? Again, for me, I'll say not enough. So again, I say today, Maybe especially today, since it's set aside for celebration, church, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what we have not yet experienced, but has been promised by the one who has proven himself faithful all the time. Let's turn our attention to it. Because it's a good, good future that Jesus has prepared. We have a, a home being prepared for us. We have a feast to look forward to. We have a marriage between us as the church, as the bride, and Jesus as the groom. We have been redeemed. We, we have a redeemed world that we get to look forward to where pain and suffering is gone. Darkness is dispelled. We are fulfilled like we've never experienced before. And we have a relationship with Jesus like we've never experienced before. And once again, for me, that makes it a lot harder to be grumpy about where I am right now. Doesn't that just put into a ridiculous light all of our our, our, our Squibbles? Quabbles? What am I trying to say here? All our quarrels, that's the word that I'm trying to say here. Doesn't that put in a ridiculous light all the things that we get so bent out of shape about, about like who you vote for and what kind of things that you wrap your life around and like what color lights are or how loud music is or whether your church is meeting your needs or blah, 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 right? What a low place that deserves in our mind when we look back at what he's done and look to the future of what he's gonna do. Who has time for that, right? If we're celebrating those, I think we're going to have a lot harder time being cranky about where we're at right now. And with one minute and 14 seconds left, this would be an awesome place to stop. But that would be really dishonest because, so I'm just going to do what Travis and Matt do and keep going. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because, yeah, this would be easy to stop. We'd be able to be like, yeah, I will do that. As I go out throughout my week, I will remember what God has done, and I will celebrate what God has done. And you know what? I'll even celebrate what God has yet to do. I can do that. Awesome. But that's not where the story ends. And I don't think it can be where ours ends either. I think that would be very dishonest. Because there's one more thing I want to point out. The Spirit just really nailed home for me as I was reading this, and I think it's vitally important. After this huge moment of celebration where 
these people looked at Jesus' faithfulness before and trusted him with faithfulness moving forward, saying he was the king, the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. As we continue to follow Jesus as he walks through this week, where are these people? This huge crowd gathers and makes some huge statements about who Jesus is. But as the week continues on, they are nowhere to be found. We have no biblical evidence that they stuck with and stayed close to Jesus. We have very clear biblical accounts that by the time Jesus was hanging on the cross, you know, the actual fulfilling of the thing that the crowd was celebrating him for, that they were nowhere to be found. It was John and a couple women. That was it. The reality is this is probably not the same crowd that then a few days later was yelling for Jesus' crucifixion. That's the town swelled to three times its size. It's unlikely. I get thematically it's nice, but truthfully, it's just probably not likely. So I think that makes it even worse. These people just disappeared. At least those people like cared enough to lend their voice to something. This crowd was here one day saying Jesus is king and the next they were just gone. They quiet quit on Jesus. I feel like that's worse. I don't know if they were like, man, that was a great experience. Where are we gonna go eat? I don't know if they were like, man, stuff's getting a little too real for me. I think I'm done. I don't know if they were like, yeah, a couple days in this is like good. I'll circle back around this time next week. I'm sure he'll be here. I don't know what was going through their head, but we know that by the time Jesus was doing the thing that they were praising him about, they weren't there. See, they celebrated what he had done. This is what I think happened. They celebrated what he had done, what he would do, but they could not celebrate or even tolerate how he was going to do it. And isn't that true of us? The problem for all these people, the crowd, the disciples, us, was they had a hard time accepting the method that Jesus was going to use to do everything he said he was going to do. It just doesn't make sense to us. That's not how you get power. That's not how you retain power. That's not how you deal with problems. It's not how you get back at people. It's not how you create justice. It's just not how we would do it. And they couldn't hang. They were glad for what he had done. They wanted what he was gonna do. But when he actually started to do it, the way that it needed to be done, they were like, no, 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 not like, not like that. <laughs> that's, that's too much. That's too costly. And man, are we so different? I would argue No. When we say Hosanna, when we say Hosanna, like these people did and say, save us, are we okay with how he chooses to save us? When we cry out to God and say, change us, are we okay with how he decides to change us? When we say, lead us or speak to us or use us, are we actually okay with how he decides to do that? Or are we the people who say Hosanna and there's a big asterisk as a part of it? See below, conditions apply. Like, I'll do this as long as you don't touch these things. I, I, I am here for this as long as it doesn't mess up this stuff. I will do this as long as it makes logical sense to me. Jesus makes it very clear. There's, there's zero debate about this, that this isn't how it's gonna work for his followers. Not for the people who really follow him to the end. A few verses down in verse 26 he says it as clear as you could possibly say it. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. This is literally as he is heading toward the cross. This is the week he's heading there. He says, you must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here's what I've learned in my life, and I think it's true spiritually as well, is that whatever I value most I will do whatever it takes to make it happen. And that's true for you too, right? I don't have to guess about that. Whatever is most important to you, you will do whatever it takes to make it happen. You will spend whatever money you need to spend. You will overcome whatever adversity gets thrown your way. You will let go of relationships, let go of plans, let go of dreams. If they aren't funneled toward, directed toward the thing that you value most, you will let it go. We will do whatever we need to, to do the things that are most important to us. Let me just tell you, my, in my life, this idea was tested and found to be pretty accurate. Let me just tell you a quick story. I don't got time for all the details, but if you want to hear even more crazy ones, come find me after. My wife and I got an opportunity to, to do some traveling not very long ago. We went to Vietnam and Bali for two weeks. It was amazing. Um, we ditched the kids. My mom watched them. They weren't like in our house by herself or anything, but 
we, we left the kids and we got to spend some time together. And we've been planning this for a long, long time. We were supposed to go in 2020 and then, you know. Um, and so now was the time where we actually were able to go. And I was so pumped and I worked so hard to get all the details squared away and make sure I had all the paperwork. And one of the things that you had to do was you had to have a visa to get into Vietnam. They wouldn't let you in without a visa. Um, no problem. It's not expensive. It's pretty easy to get. You just submit all the information. They email you back. You print it off. You take it to the airport. So I did that. It takes about three weeks to get um, and so I did it plenty of time. I was like, yeah, I'm a details person now. I'm doing great over here. <laughs> and we show up to the airport plenty of time. We walk up to, the, to the, the, the counter. They take our passport. They take our visas. They're looking at it. It's taking a little too long, you know? And I get that dreaded, like, mm, I need to go talk to my manager. And I was like, oh, no. What are we doing here? They come back, and they say, Megan, Miss Meg- Megan Belden, your visa is correct. Here's your boarding pass. You can go get on the plane. Uh, Mr. Kyle Belden, your visa is incorrect. Uh, your expiration date on your passport is one day different than your expiration date on the visa, and you are not allowed to get on this plane. And I was like, no, <laughs> right? I pushed hard. I got, I, ar- I argued. I did everything I could to try to convince them. Nothing. They said, you can't go. And that kicked off about like a three-day period of maybe the most stressful time I think I've experienced so far in my life. That's not true. But it was really, really stressful. Trying to get to this place that, 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 that we wanted to go and we're, we, want, we, we were going to get there. Our hope was to get there, right? Pretty soon in that process, we realized, okay, this visa isn't just coming in the next hour. So we need to decide, Megan, are you going to get on this plane or are you not? And pretty quickly we decided, okay, get on the plane. I mean, it's better for you. To, we're not going to waste two plane tickets, so you might as well be hanging out in Vietnam while I'm trying to figure this out. So she gets on a plane. She heads off into a 13, 14-hour flight, and who knows where she is, right, at that point. And I, again, there's lots of details, but I worked so hard to get to where I was wanting to go. And after Megan left, I worked even harder because of the person who was there. I spent more money than I wanted to spend, I took more detours than I wanted to spend. I risked more than I probably was comfortable risking. It took me to LA for a 12-hour layover overnight. It cost me a ton more money. It, it made me trust some immigration company that was messaging me over Facebook Messenger. I was like, I am for sure getting scammed right now. Like, for sure. I'm going to get to Vietnam. And they're going to take me to jail, like, right away. Like, this is for sure happening. I slept on the sidewalk outside the Ho Chi Minh airport for a night. Like, it looked nothing like I planned for it to look to get to where I was going. But you know what? I was willing to do any of it. Because I wanted to get there, and more importantly, I wanted to get to the person who was there. There was one moment in that process where I was like, should I just call the whole thing? Like, is this just too much? I don't know how to get Megan back, but should I just quit? And very quickly decided, no, she's there, so I'm getting to her. I don't care what it looks like, and I don't care what it costs me. Now, that is so minimal, right? A trip, a fun trip, that's so minimal. But I've been really convicted by this. I think I was more willing to pay whatever needed to be paid in whatever fashion, money, energy, time. I was more willing to pay whatever needed to be paid to get to her than sometimes I am to make sure that I'm doing things the way that Jesus asked me to do. That sucks. That's a bummer. And I don't think that has to be true of our lives. And that might not be you. You might be like, well, it sounded like you dodged a bullet. You could have stayed home. (laughs) But I bet there's something in your life that sounds similar. Some dream you have, some business you're trying to get going, some money or security or comfort or relationship where you're like, I will, I will pay whatever I need to pay to do this. If we are willing to do that for something so temporary, how much more should we be willing to give up everything for the only thing that actually ends up mattering in this world? Are we willing to do it? I, for one, I think there are many in this room this morning that are not okay with just celebrating him for what he's done and trust him for what he has yet to do, but wants to not just endure, but celebrate every step in the process. It's so easy for us to pull the plug when things get hard, but I want to be a person who not only endures, but celebrates God's way, even though it's objectively marked by suffering and hardship. 
Like, there's no question about that anymore. Jesus has made that so clear that his way is gonna come with a lot of tension because we're running up against the, the, the rulers of this world. It's gonna happen. So let's not pretend like that's like some fringe theory that we don't have to deal with. That's the deal. But are we willing to endure and beyond endure, celebrate God's way because he is trustworthy and, and he has been faithful in the past? I think when we do that, at best we miss out and at worst we're being disobedient to him if that's what we go with. When I look at this story, I think, man, what a tragedy that out of the crowds and crowds of people there that day, only a few people got to witness his actual victory. Like him hanging on the cross, winning the victory. Him raising from the dead, walking out of that tomb. Like how sad, what a tragedy. I get that it's heart-wrenching and it kind of had to be that way, but scripture does make it clear, like that's where he won. How sad that so few people got to be a part of it. But how typical is that of us? To celebrate what he's done, even honestly celebrate what he will do, um, what we have faith he will do, but want to circumvent his way of getting there. The way of humility, the way of self-denial, the way of forgiveness, even when people don't deserve it, objectively don't deserve it. The way of perseverance, the way of sacrifice. So today, really, we need to have this on our mind all the time, but today specifically, I would say let's make the choice. Let's make the conscious choice to celebrate. Celebrate what God has done in our lives in the past, how he's been faithful. Choose to celebrate him for what he has not, what he has not yet done and what we have not yet experienced. And if we could be so brave, and man, Jesus, let this be true of us. Let's be honest of us. If we could be so brave, let's celebrate, even celebrate how he wants to do it. No lines drawn around things, no strings attached. Can we celebrate him for everything he's doing? I think if we did, it'd be quite a force. I think people would really pay attention if that was characteristic of us. And I get it, it's not a one and done thing, of course. But today, of all days, we have an opportunity to step into it, to recognize what he's done, what he's gonna do, and even say, I'm here for how you want to do it. And it's a bummer, we don't have uh, the communion stuff for today. And in one, in, on one hand, it's kind of a bummer. On the other, I think it's even better <laughs> because uh, it breaks that mindset that we have that, oh, we only take communion when we're all together in this place during this hour. Like, take communion with your friends, with your family as a reminder of, of who Jesus is. But communion does an excellent, excellent job of tapping into all three of these things. And so I would just say the next time you take communion, whether it's lunch or some other time during the week, or Good Friday when you come back in here, or come back over to the pavilion, um, take the opportunity to recognize what Jesus has done before. His death on a cross, his resurrection from the grave, the pouring out of his blood so that we could be made clean. Make sure we recognize that. Make sure we recognize that this is just a foretaste when we take communion of the feast that is coming when Jesus returns. And that we have the opportunity to say, and however you want to do that, I'm game for it. Jesus fulfilled what he had said he was gonna do and he points to what he will do through his sacrifice. And we can trust him every step of the way. So we're gonna close our time uh, this morning with a song um, called Prepare the Way. We've sang it quite a few times here. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to just say to God, I think it's an opportunity to say to God uh, that we are going to put our faith in what he's done, trust him for what's to come, and that we will walk every step of it this way, that he's preparing a way and we would have the boldness to walk through it. Would you uh, pray with me? And then we are going to sing together. Actually, stand to your feet because again, we're celebrating today. No matter what your week has been like or what you walked in here with, we're celebrating today. So let's celebrate him together. Let me pray as we get ready to sing. Jesus, I'm really thankful that as we look back at our life, um, it does not take much to see how you've been at work. I, I think sometimes we act like that's the case. Like somehow what you're doing is like super hidden. But God, uh, I'm just really grateful that there's tons of people in our life and there's tons of circumstances in our life that point to how you've been faithful. Would, would you give us the eyes to see it? And God, uh, I thank you for the promise of what's to come. 
that whatever stuff is still hanging on us that keeps us from experiencing you to the full, God, that at some point when you return, all of that will be gone. We will see you with the clearest eyes when our act will interact with you in the purest way. I'm so looking forward to that. And so as we do that, Jesus, would you keep us true to your path? Would you keep us true to your way, even if it messes with our sensibilities, even if it costs us, God, that we would look to the other side and know that it is so worth it. It is so worthwhile. And it's not a burden, it's a joy. You promise us like your way is light. Your burden is light. It's marked by suffering. It's marked by hardships, but two things can be true at once. You make that so clear over and over again in your word, God, that we can suffer and still have joy. And in fact, our joy is of greater validity because of the suffering we've endured, that we can have peace even in the middle of total chaos and the peace is more legitimate because of the chaos, God. We thank you for inviting us into it. And Lord, may we walk, may we walk it well. Give us the boldness and the courage to do exactly that here in this moment and more importantly, when we leave this place today. We love you. Your awesome name. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.